Second reading comes from Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Everybody got it? Say amen again. Amen again. I like that. <laughs> As followed, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those, let me say that again. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tied up doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of the faith. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chip. Like Chip, we're looking for other individuals who would like to read Scripture and uh, help us in our liturgy. So just let, it, let me know or let him know, and we will share that opportunity and that blessing of sharing Scripture. Who's got the power? Thank you. That's this power. <laughs> What's he talking about? Been sharing with you uh, for the month a series of uh, messages, basically dealing with a contrast of fearful or fearless and faithful. Fearless and faithful. Jesus, we found out, is always contrasting these two things. And last Sunday, we, we, we discovered that Jesus is always contrasting when people have little faith, right? They have a lot of what? Fear. We remember it. Little faith, big, big fear, little faith. So it, it's a contrast. And Jesus is always finding out this contrast in, in whenever he's encountering the, the disciples. Now, we do know, we do know that fear paralyzes a lot of individuals. Fear paralyzes while faith releases. Fear blinds you while faith opens your vision. Fear shuts you down. It kind of stops you right in your, in your spots when faith empowers you to move forward. Fear belittles you. Fear says you can't. Well, faith says you can do everything through Christ that strengthens you. Fear alienates you, puts you away from people. I'm afraid, so I'm going to hide. You know, this kind of alienation while leaving you lonely, while faith brings you into the family of God. Fear makes you insecure while faith gives you the confidence. Fear makes you coward. Well, faith gives you the actual courage. That's the contrast that we're working with. And a week, some weeks ago, we talked about the fearless living. And we discovered that fearless living is the life that God intended, a life of empowerment, a life to make a difference, a life to be victorious, and even a life to make sacrifices. That's part of fearlessness. Last week, we talked about fearless service, and we discussed it. Much fear, little faith. Much faith, little fear. So serve without fear and boldness. Fear in the Bible, I mentioned that last week. And I, let me summarize that again today because I think it's important that every time we see and we find the word fear in the Bible, that doesn't mean the same thing. So first of all, there is the first kind of fear that's in the Bible. I don't care about them. Oh, the first, <laughs> the first kind of fear that the Bible speaks about is the holy fear. 
is a good, positive, and healthy fear. Is the fear of the Lord. Is what the Bible declares the fear of God. Not the fear to run away because we've done wrong. That's not that kind of fear. It's the fear that drives us to be at awe, to be in admiration. It's the fear that drives our response to bow down. Our bodily response is just to bow down, shrink, and bow down, go in the ground. That's what happens when the Lord would reveal God's self to some individuals. Their response was to bow down and kind of hide. They saw, their, they saw their insufficiency. They saw God's holiness, God's magnificence, God's sovereignty. And thus, we are to be reverent, admirers, and at awe of God. And that's what the Bible calls fear of the Lord. So that's a good and positive fear. The other kind of fear that the Scriptures talked about, and that's the summary here, is danger. It's the fear that helps us and keeps us alive. It's the fear that if we see a cliff, we're not going to go onto it because we know something is going to happen. That is what psychologists would call existential fear. The fear that tells us and guides us about danger. The fear that keeps us alive. The fear of why we don't eat rats unless we have to. Kind of thing. Okay? Then the scripture talks about fear as phobia, panic, paralyzing fear. And it's interesting, the verse that we used last week, the verse in 2 Timothy that says that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. This third fear, which is the negative fear, is the one that Jesus refers to and God refers to as do not be afraid or don't fear. That's the one that Jesus is referring to and God refers to because this is the fear that does not come from God. That fear does not come from God. Look the kind of God, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, shyness and, and shamefulness. God has not given us that spirit. So that kind of spirit does not come from God. It is not the will of God for us to be that kind of fearful because this kind of fear is the obstacle to God's will. Did you get that? Jesus always says, don't be afraid because that fear is an obstacle always to God's will. Now, we are Presbyterians and we think that God will do everything according to God's will, right? That God is sovereign, right? Where your will is included in there, but your will can literally stop God from doing certain things with you. Not with somebody else. But with you in particular. You will paralyze God because of your fear. Oh, six years ago, that's what three churches in the area found themselves. Six years later, two of them may have been closed already. That's why we got together. Wise decision came from God. So if you don't like the idea that three churches came together, that your worship changed, that people from different places are coming to worship here, guess what? Who are you arguing with? God. So your lack of fear or your extreme fear because you lost your little church, it wasn't yours. Hello. It's God's church. It's not mine. Oh, I, I, I don't really like it in our Spanish circles. You know this, Maria. You're, is that your church? Es la iglesia tuya. Tú vas a tu iglesia. I, I don't like that. It's also in the English jargon. Is that your church? No, it's not mine. I don't want it. Are you kidding? <laughs> it's not mine. So we always use the terminology. We inverse the terminology and, and we say, you hear pastors say, no, I serve at Light of Hope Presbyterian Church. 
It's not my, I don't want it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I don't want it. It's not for me. It's not mine. It's Jesus's. So I even have to put my opinions aside. Or the things, I wanted this floor to be wood. Not wood. Well, it was wiser not to have wood. But my idea didn't know that. So when I, they told me, who was it? You told me. I'm pointing at Larson. She blew my bubble. And guess what? We have a wonderful sanctuary. Because ideas don't necessarily have to come with your ego. Don't tie your ideas with your ego or else you'll be a miserable person in church. Uh-huh. Our fear paralyzes God's will. And we're not about that in any way, shape, or form. The whole idea, now, now let me clarify. Today we're going to contrast, uh, we're going to be talking about sowing and reaping. And, and in this 21st century where we live, we tend to confuse concepts, religious concepts, from other religions. For example, some people say that this idea of sowing and reaping is the same thing as karma. How many of you think that? Karma is the same thing as sowing and reaping? No, it's not. No, it's not. Karma is the Hindu idea of universalism that when you do something good, something good from the universe may return to you. Now, you want to do a lot of good things because the better karma you have, the more of a higher animal you're going to be reincarnated into sowing and reaping as Jesus and Paul discusses it in the scripture has nothing to do with karma is the idea of your behavior has consequences bring it down to earth that's what it means your ideas, your concepts, your behavior, your movement has consequences. So if you're kind to people in a broken, nasty world with nasty women and nasty men, <laughs> if you live in this broken world, I can use those phrases to play with, uh, and I'm kind to people, how many, what are the chances of me getting some kindness back? 50-50 or maybe in 2-9, right? Yeah. Because people don't understand kindness and they just get scared. Why are you so nice? When Lloyd and I moved from Chicago to Florida, we're walking in the neighborhood and people are saying, Hi! So what do they want? Are they following us? <laughs> you come from different environments. But reaping and sowing, according to Scripture, has nothing to do with that you will get, you know, if you do good to everybody, everybody's going to be good to you. No, that doesn't happen, right? Doesn't happen. We live in a broken world, but it has to do with the consequences. If you love someone significantly, there is a possibility that that person will love you back. With all their handicaps. So let's have that clear. The whole metaphor of sowing and reaping is not karma. Karma has to do with a very universal concept of becoming better and better. And thus you will reap things better and better if they come. Reaping and sowing has to do with consequences. 
If you are very generous, what may happen to you? Generosity may come your way. But why? Because you were generous in the right place at the right time. Right? How many people have we helped in this congregation? They come through the door. They look for help, whether it's financial, gas, and whatever. And out of the ones that I have been intervening in three and a half years, in three and a half years of helping people that come to the door with whatever the need there is that we are able to, and we decide to move forward on that, only two people have come back and said, thank you. Only two. And, and, and you know one of them, remember Michael? Michael? He still sends us texts once in a while, thanking us for what we did with him two years ago. And there was a lady who came here to fix the affairs of, of her sister who passed away, and she got put in jail because her nephew put her in jail. And, and she was the aide to a mayor in a city in the Northeast, and I believed her story. And in Christmas, she sends a thank you note to Lidaho because we believed her story and we helped her. Today she works in Washington. She's Corey Brooks' assistant. Say nothing. So the whole idea of reaping and sowing, the Bible explains it in different ways. It talks about sowing and reaping. It talks about planting and harvesting. It talks about in the, in the modern sense or in the financial sense of investing and collecting and, and reaping profits. And it's also described as now and later. Uh, is that odd, this now and later? It doesn't kind of match with the other three ideas. Well, the idea is that sowing is one action and reaping takes place when? A while later. It takes a while, right? Then planting, we do when? In the spring. And when do we harvest typically? In the fall, traditionally. Okay, generally speaking. Generally speaking. Where I come from is all year round, okay? Investing into your retirement when you're beginning your 20s. Listen up, people. Then when you retire, you have what? You collect. You don't have to do a reverse mortgage necessarily. Now is our need. The blessing may come later. So there is that gap in there that makes us all uncomfortable. We're leaving that gap in light of hope. When is this place going to be full? We're seeing less, sometimes less people on Sundays, sometimes more. When? Is it now or later? God knows. What does the verse say? That we should continue, not get tired, but continue and continue. So in between reap and sowing, in between planting and harvesting, in between investing and collecting, in between now and later, what does it say? Do not grow weary. Don't back off. Don't get tired, but persist. Keep on focused. You get it? So karma is not the same thing in any way, shape, or form about reaping and sowing. Reaping and sowing has to do with the consequences. If you play with fire, what can happen? What happens? I tell that to the teenagers in other kind of metaphors. Yeah. If you play with that, you can maybe become a daddy. Oh. oh. Consequences. You see, you reap and sow consequences. Your life changes. We have a couple, a new couple. They're not here today. Uh, they're having issues at home. Why? Because there's a new person in their life. 
a baby. Babies are disruptive in families, in couples especially. Pray for me. I'm losing my... Yeah, she's moving up. I'm losing my apartment. Yeah, my wife is moving up to live with me, but I've been without her for three and a half years. Pray for me. I've got to get used to that again. Pray for, yeah, pray for Lloyd that too. She, by the way, she got a job already. Right back here. Yeah. So, now and later. So, how do we fearlessly sow? We sow fearlessly sowing goodness. And goodness is not easy to do. But we are good people, some of us. We're decent people. We're not good in the terms of Scripture because no one is good in terms of Scripture. But sowing goodness intentionally means invest in yourself. Nurture yourself. What are you putting into your mind? What are you reading? What are the inputs into your computer? Nurture yourself and others. To sowing fearlessly with goodness is to lighten one's load and the loads of other people. Building new connections, accepting, getting to know others, and accepting them just as they are without the prejudging. Come on. By the way, do you know that when you're judging, others are judging you, including yourself? Paul says this wonderful recommendation about nurturing and building and sowing good things in your heart. Paul talks about whatever is conflict, whatever is gossipy, whatever is to criticize whatever is worse than you. Have you read that verse? Have you read that verse? It's not in Scripture. Oh, okay. Ah. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Why in the world do you have hate TV on all day? Others. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, we, have, we read in the text... Let us do good to all people, not just to Democrats or Republicans or Independents. It says all people. We'll be forgetting that stuff in a couple of months, right? Because that's who we are. Oh, some say no. You're going to keep at it for the next four years because she's going to get in there. Huh? So let's hate her. I mean, really. If he wins, I'm going to have to take him. And you think I'm going to be talking to him every, every Sunday here? No. It will be another one. Another four years. They go by real quickly. They know that. That's why they want four more. Don't be worried. Whoever wins, it's not up to you. Oh, we vote. But ultimately, God is in control. What do you care? Really? What do you care? Sowing with grace. Ha. <sighs> When, when whoever wins, we know who was in each side. Are we going to be graceful? Are we going to be humane? Are we going to be Christians instead of politicians? Are we going to be people of the kingdom instead of people of the world? 
are we going to be people that will know who we are, not by our politics, but by our love of all? So sowing grace and sowing fearlessly with grace is sowing, is walking that extra mile. It's turning that other cheek. And we may sow in, even in lives. It's, it's like the apostles and missionaries that, and, and today's martyrs. They are sowing the gospel somewhere else where they're not welcomed, where they're not received. We know the ones that were eaten up and were dinner for some of the cannibals way back. And that could still happen today. So sowing fiercely, we sow with goodness, we sow with grace, and we sow with gratitude. Now, gratitude is interesting because the science is behind this statement. Science is behind this statement. If you live a life of gratitude, if you live a life of thanksgiving, if you live a life that when you get up in the morning, you say, thank you, Lord, whatever may come my way, let me be praising you when the sun comes down, like our old hymn says. That is grace. That is living and sowing grace in your life and in the life of others. Sowing gratitude, you will be healthier. Your well-being will improve. Your attitudes will change. Your cancer may even disappear some degree. While there are many definitions of gratitude, it is, it is a foundation. Gratitude is a healing, life-affirming, and uplifting human experience that shifts from focusing on the negative to focusing on the blessing. Do you get it? Think on those things. To close... Gratitude provides us with a more intimate connection with one another. Well, we're not expressing gratitude, we're disconnected. When we express gratitude to one another, we are connected. Our souls come together. The, uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians, be thankful in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Fearless sowing is sowing faith in your own life. It's infusing faith in your life. It's connecting with the life of faith and it's living, as Paul calls it, living by faith. Fearless sowing and fearless living in goodness, planting good things in life for yourself as well as for others. It's not a matter of doing good so you can go to get it's not karma. It is a consequence of our behavior. Fearless sowing and sowing in grace is walking the extra mile, turning the cheek and always going and always doing what Jesus does. He extends the hand and walks with you. Paul in the Galatian text that Chip Red says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will reap that destruction. This morning when I walked in, I greeted um, Pat Dunn. And, and, and we walked by and says, hi, sinner. You call me a sinner? She says, yeah. Why? I'm not a sinner. I have Yes, you are. And then she knew what I was talking about. And, and yes, we are sinners. Actually, Scripture says those of you who say that you're not a sinner, you're a liar. Which makes you a sinner anyway. There you go. She got it. But you see, whoever sows to place their flesh, their flesh is our satisfaction. Whatever makes us happy in this world. It requires no sacrifice. Only to go to the store and get the bottle, perhaps. Will rip destruction. It happens in churches. It happens in families. It happens to individuals. However, Whoever sows to please the Spirit, the things of God, 
from the spirit will reap eternal life. And, and we tend to get lost in this concept of eternal life and think, oh, yeah, I'll go to heaven. That's eternal. No, 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 no. Eternal life begins here right now. You are experiencing eternal life. In Christ, you are experiencing eternal life. It began when Christ grabbed you. Did you know that? You're just going to be changing from this kind of life to the full kind of life, the wholeness kind of life. From this imperfect condition to the perfect condition. From this sinful, broken bodies to those perfect, glorified bodies. Glorified bodies. Glorified. Amazing. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your fearlessness in dealing with us. And we ask you, O oh God, to help us to be fearless believers as we live fearlessly, as we service with fearlessness, and as we, O oh God, walk without fear in your path in the way you have for us. Through Christ we thank you. Amen. I have a statement of faith we believe by Bruce Pruer. Bruce Pruer is one of the executive, uh, actually he's the moderator of the Australian Presbyterian Church. So this um, affirmation of faith comes to us through the Australian Presbyterian Church. If you would be so kind as to get up and let's confess what we believe together before God and one another. By the way, that little bird that you see up there, see that see the little bird in the screen? That's a drogon. Okay? We didn't know what that was when I got this because he's speaking Australian. That's a drogon. It's a little blue bird. We believe in the debonair God who clothes, dressing them so superbly, Solomon's in all his glory, who is the true friend of all creatures, great and small, who feeds magpies and laughing cucumbaras and even doleful ravens and drogons. We believe in the God of Jesus Christ, the source of abundance full of grace and truth. We believe in the extravagant God who turns the other cheek, goes the second mile, turns water into the best wine, brings healing with his every touch, and who welcomes a woman's love as she fills the house with unforgettable fragrance. We believe in the faithful God of Jesus Christ who sweated blood on the olive grove, and kept the faith to the very end. We believe in the redeeming God, who spared no cost, forgave even his brutal crucifiers, had time for a dying thief at his side, and who on the third day did a thing so prodigious that even his friends were dismayed with joy. We believe in the God of Jesus Christ, the source of abundance, whoever we return no matter what we do, amen.